Praise the Lord. I'm Pastor Curtis Hutchinson. Welcome to Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. Uh, we've been studying the book of Galatians, or rather the letter to the Galatian churches, uh, since February the 2nd. And uh, we're going to begin today in chapter 2 and uh, verse 2. But before we get there, I'm going to go ahead, instead of taking a break and doing a commercial later, I'll do our commercial up front and get it all out of the way right off the bat. So I want to offer you our newest release of a 12-CD series, The Righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This c series is uh, an amazing series that reveals uh, so much about the righteousness of God. We had to end it after 12 messages. It could have went on forever. There's no end to what the Bible says about God's righteousness, but this message, these messages will bless your heart. It's only $25 unless you get three of our series. Then you can get all three of them for 60 And I just want to encourage you, help us with the ministry, support the ministry, and support uh, the truth that God's trying to get in to your heart so you can live uh, and experience more of the freedom he's offered you through the cross. Our little 62-page booklet, All God's Works Are Done in Truth, there are not very many uh, ministers preaching this scripture. Uh, Psalms 33, 4 says, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. The gospel is a narrow gospel. It doesn't exclude people. It invites all. But unless they all come to this one way in which God works, God won't be found working in their lives. $15 will get you this book. Uh, for any of these, if you want to order something, you go to our website, thecrosswaychurch.com. Just hit the donate button and tell us what you want. We'll mail it to you, and uh, we'll be we'll get it right away uh, mailed out to you. And uh, our physical address is six ten Highway fifty nine Queen City Texas seven five five seven two. And again, our website is thecrosswaychurch.com. And a couple more things: my YouTube page is Curtis Hutchinson three sixteen. All these messages and even more that I record outside of the church services and these Friday morning teachings are being uploaded to Curtis Hutchinson three sixteen, my YouTube channel. So avail yourself to that. We mail out five expositor study Bibles every week to inmates in prisons across Texas, Arkansas, Louisiana, and wherever else we get letters from. So. I'm telling you that so that you might pray about helping us financially do that. The letters are piling up, and five a week is a, is, is a great blessing for us, but the, we get more than five letters a week, so the letters are piling up, and those of you that give online, we thank you for that, and those of you that don't, well, we're asking you to. You know, it's it's and the Lord told me this before I came over this morning, you know, to encourage the people to give to the ministry where they're learning not what the Bible says, but what the Bible means. The ministry that's teaching you what the Bible means, that's where your funds are to go because you're eating there. You're not eating when somebody tells you what the Bible says. You're partaking when somebody tells you what the Bible means. Praise God for that. So many of you just watch, and I pray that you'd become partakers of the greater blessing, which is through giving to support where you're eating. Amen? Praise God. And you can don donate online at our website once again. Uh, I will be next weekend at Cross Life Fellowship Church, Robin and I will, in Tuttle, Oklahoma, with pastors uh, 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 Tommy and Susie Wiedelman. Drew a blank there. Tommy and uh, Susie Wiedelman there in Tuttle, Oklahoma. We'll be there Friday evening and, I'm sorry, Saturday evening and Sunday morning, 7 o'clock Saturday night on the 17th, then the next morning at 10 a.m. for worship service. And Brother Bob and Sister Sharon are going to be with us beginning tonight right here at Crossway Church. So if you're watching now and you're anywhere near this Queen City, Atlanta, Texas region area, then we encourage you to be here tonight at 7 o'clock. In the morning, uh, Brother Bob will be teaching at 10, and if Sharon comes with him, uh, she's not been, been feeling well, but if she does make it, they will be tag-teaming uh, in the morning if she feels up to it, and then Saturday night at 6, and then Sunday morning at 10 again. So drive in, come and be a part of these great revival services, and God will surely bless you. Amen? Amen, the preacher said then. Uh, Galatians chapter 2 is where we'll begin today. And we will 
take off uh, where we left off last week, and that is with verse 2. Before we do that, let's ask the Lord today to give us our daily bread that we desperately need, and that means a greater revelation of the one who came and said, I am the bread that came from heaven. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity today to be in your word, to study your word as you've commanded us to do, that we might, Lord, be ready workmen, that we might show ourselves approved unto you, that we might be the witness unto to you you've called us to be that we would not end up being ashamed that we don't know the answers when people ask us questions and Lord that we would be equipped greater after this meeting today for the work of the ministry than we were before we came we ask you to give us a greater revelation of your son Jesus Christ today and all that you've made possible for us through what he did at the cross and we just praise you today for your word and for your spirit and I pray that you would impart and graft your truth into our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Galatians chapter 2, uh, we'll back up and start with verse 1, as we always like to do, like an old goat. Uh, thank God we're not goats. <laughs> But we like to take a couple steps back and then get a running start uh, every, every Friday, and that's what we'll do today. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul says, Then fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And as we said last week, Titus was just a, he was a converted heathen Gentile, been born again, been saved, and, and was with Paul. And, uh, you know, I, I'm one of them. I'm like a Titus. I'm just, I was an old heathen Gentile, saved by by what God gave Paul to write in the scriptures, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. And so Titus went with him to Jerusalem. And he says, and we covered this last week, he says, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. And I think we touched on this last week that he didn't go when somebody was encouraging him to go. He didn't go because he wanted to go. He went when, when he received the revelation to go, that it was time to go to Jerusalem. And he went to communicate the gospel to them. Paul, that's the only reason Paul went anywhere. It's to communicate the gospel. That was his mission. If he was in chains and headed to Rome or wherever, where he was, he was headed somewhere to preach the gospel. If he was shipwrecked and floated ashore on a plank of wood, it was to preach the gospel. His mission wasn't why am I here and what's going on. His mission was I may not know why I have, I may not know everything, but I know why I'm here and it's to preach the gospel. And that's why he went to Jerusalem. But he said he, he didn't just burst in there and say, Get, go call everybody together. But he said he did it privately with the leaders and those who had influence there. So, you know, if you call a meeting with everybody in the church or everybody in the region, you're just going to have chaos. You've got to bring, you know, and it really doesn't matter what everybody says. It only matters what the preachers say because the preachers are the one feeding everybody else. That's why when you go into these foreign lands like Philippines or Nepal, Maine, a lot of times it's going to be a lot of preachers flocking in and among the people and that's good because what what they're the ones that are over the flocks over there they're the ones when you leave you better be praying they got it if anybody got it we want everybody to get the gospel but the preachers really need it because they're the ones who are have been set over the flock uh, and so, and that's what happened here. Paul, he didn't just rush in and want a big meeting. He, he rushed in and he wanted a meeting with those who were over uh, the congregation there. And when you study this out in commentaries, you'll see that there were thousands of people in the church. And I think we touched on this last week as well, that if 3,000 people got saved uh, on the day that Peter stood up and preached the gospel the day of Pentecost, uh, then how many more thousands of people got saved after that? And they were all probably in this church that Peter and James, James being the pastor thereof, was over. So that, that's what was going on back in that day. And you've got to understand, uh, there, was, there was great conflicts back then, just as there is today. 
between uh, different people preaching law, these people preaching grace, and most people today that think they're preaching grace or preaching law. And uh, back then, it was it was everything was new to them. This message was new to Paul. It was it had set him free, and there was no way Paul was going to go back into what God had released him and delivered him from, and showed him that was only historical to bring him into what he had today. It had been done away with that the second might be established. Hebrews describes that and all these things Paul was in no way about to be carried back under the law it just was not going to happen because he'd been set free and once you you've been uh, made free through the gospel you should fight the good fight of faith to stay free no matter if uh, a mom and dad or grandma or the people that you've been associated with for years try to pull you back under law you have got to be determined that's why Paul had to get to the point he said I'm determined to know nothing else among you except Christ and him crucified if we don't get determined if we're not determined to know nothing else we're already, we've already been taken captive and I'm telling you he listen Less by any means, and we didn't cover this last part very much, so we'll just cover the last part of verse 2, which is less by any means I should run or had run in vain. And I just want to read what's in my notes here. The phrase, This phrase describes not the need for the Jerusalem church to accredit or to endorse or validate his gospel. He didn't need that. He'd been given this by the Lord. He didn't need men to come along and say, well, well, I, yeah, okay, we approve. They, he didn't need that. So that's not why he went. Everybody with me on that? He said, but, for, he, but the reason he went was for them to do something about their homegrown Judaizers that were going out from that church following him. See, we, we've never really put that together. These Judaizers were coming out of this Christian church. And I'm not, not everybody in there was Christian, but these people were following Paul around, and whether they were born again or whether they were just hanging around that church, you know, that, we don't know that. Because we'll see today in our study that Paul called these people false brethren. False brethren. And we'll see that. He's, but the reason he went was for them to really do something about the, their homegrown Judaizers who were trailing after him, rendering his efforts vain through their lies. Because as we'll see as we move through this study, all of the life of James as the pastor of this church, he never really accepted this grace message for sanctification for really, for really all. He didn't never really accept the grace message for sanctification for their own selves. The proof of that is that, and we'll see it here in a few moments, hopefully, if y'all let me get to it. He, uh, he, 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 we'll read some scripture to show us that he really said, okay, what you're doing, Paul's okay for the Gentiles, but, you know, that's for them. It's not really for us. Paul, uh, uh, James pastored a church where he'd been saved and he knew he'd been saved uh, by the blood of Jesus. And he, he says in his letter, when you read James, that he's a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. But he never really moved away from law in his salvation. Saved, but trapped still under the law. And you have to say it that way because God d did not intend on them staying under law. If he did, he wouldn't have gave Paul what he gave Paul for. And no, it was not just for the Gentiles. It's the same for everybody. Do you understand that every Jewish person who has been born since Jesus Christ died, that has not accepted him as Lord, did not make heaven when they died. Though they wailed at the prayer wall, and it looked like they have an outer appearance, a form of, of, of godliness, but they deny the power which is Christ in him crucified, they did not make heaven. And the Bible does not mean that when it says all Israel shall be saved, it does not mean that they'll all be resurrected and even they will be saved. It means when Jesus comes, all those in that day will be saved. Because we're only saved through the blood of Jesus. And everybody who's rejected that is not getting another chance because God says it's appointed to man to die once, then the judgment. Not to die once and die again, and then the judgment, praise God. Hallelujah. Everybody with me on that? See, you need to be able to study the Word, rightly divide the Scriptures, because that one Scripture reveals once you die, then the judgment. Not you die, and then you live, and then you die, and then the judgment. No, once you die, it's appointed to men to die once, then the judgment. 
So that we're clear on that. All Israel to be saved is all Israel that confesses Jesus as Lord when he comes back for him at the second coming. Amen. So here we see that James, he, he was the pastor of this church and being raised with Jesus. And we're going to talk about James for just a few minutes because he was the pastor. He was the one in charge. He was one of the main ones that Paul privately gathered together. So we need to know a little bit about James. He was the pastor of this church. And he was raised with Jesus as the half-brother of Jesus. And he never believed in Jesus that he was the Messiah until Jesus showed himself to him after the resurrection. And I got scripture for it. Here it comes, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 6 and 7. And the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, After that... Speaking of Jesus, he was seen of a, above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this day, but some are fallen asleep. Some of those 500 have died. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. You see, James wasn't one of the apostles. He wasn't one of the disciples because he never believed in Christ until Jesus showed himself to him after the resurrection. And just imagine this. You're raised in the house with Jesus. You're, you're a brother to Jesus, a half-brother, because, you know, you know, they had an earthly daddy, but Jesus didn't. And you have to sit back and imagine this sometimes. Jesus never was corrected by his mother because he never got in trouble. Because he never sinned. And we think of that and we're like, well, nope, you can't go that way. He was a perfect from birth, born by a virgin, through a virgin, by the Spirit of God, without a sin nature. And he grew in stature and wisdom according to the Scriptures that he was fulfilling the entire time. He, from the time he was born from a virgin, he was fulfilling Scripture. And James, whether James was uh, uh, just didn't like him because he was jealous of him, because he, he, he never got in trouble, he's Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, holier than thou, he never does anything wrong, and here we are, we can't do anything right. You know, just full of sin, born in sin. Jesus, not that way. Or whether, and that probably had a big part to play in it. Remember Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph was by no means perfect, but he they hated him. And, uh, uh, because, you know, he, 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 he loved God and, and, and he was favored of the Father. But you have to think about these things and whether they'd start talking about the scriptures and as Jesus would grow in wisdom and stature and he would begin to share, even as a 12 year old boy, remember when they went to town and, and they took off and, and he, he was left there and, and he was amazing the people at 12 years old with his teaching. And you have to think about, well, when they were at home and they would be talking about the scriptures, as the Jewish families did back in that day, surely Joseph and Mary did because the angel said she was favored among women. That means they were focused among the Lord and his word. So they'd sit around and they'd talk about the scriptures and Jesus would always bring profound things to the kitchen table, the dinner table, and probably made the other boys and girls look like, oh, wow, how does he know all this? And jealousy is something that's very easy to leap into our hearts. When somebody's got a blessing you don't have or being used greater than you, something we always have to fight against. And we do that by keeping our faith in the cross, not by all these other attempts. So here we have James, pastor in his church, who never followed Christ, never believed in him, even though he was his own half-brother, although he did accept him because, as I said earlier, when he began his epistle, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it, he did accept him after the Lord appeared to him, after he was raised from the dead. And so uh, but this is not... He was not a disciple. Jesus did have two other James that were disciples, and that was uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and James, the son of Alphaeus. As you study the Scriptures, you'll, you'll see this out. Uh, 
And just the phrase in, in this 1 Corinthians 15, 7 says, and after that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Uh, I take that to mean he was seen of James and then all the apostles. Because James, you have, you, you have to know that's what it means because, again, he was not a disciple and an apostle that walked with Christ. He never believed in his brother while, while Jesus was here before the cross. And uh, uh, this same James would later write his letter. I've already said this, I believe, possibly the first letter to the New Testament, not to Gentiles, which are never mentioned, but to Jewish Christians. He wrote his letter to Jewish Christians. And uh, proof that James and the church in Jerusalem had problems with the message that Paul taught and still believed to some degree in separation between Jew and Gentile. And we're going to read some scripture this morning, if that's okay with you. I love scripture, Acts 21. We're going to read about seven or eight verses there. We're going to start in verse 18. And this describes one of the meetings that Paul had when he was in Jerusalem uh, when they were trying to determine at some point about when uh, what, what's up with the Gentiles. Okay, Paul, you're preaching the gospel. They're getting saved. Okay, but that, that's, that, that's amazing. But now what are we going to have to do? And the, this this what we're about to read, and I'm going to read also the notes that are in the Expositor Study Bible with this series of verses because they help us to understand what was really going on there. And, and, and as Paul had received the gospel of Jesus Christ and, the, and this church had been saved through faith in Christ as the Son of God, and the Lamb of God that would come and take away their sins, but there was still a division there. There was still, you know, and that's not the will of God. The will of God is there for there to be unity by the faith of the Son of God that loved us, gave himself for us. Ephesians teaches it's the unity of the faith. And there's only one faith. Ephesians 4 tells us that. There's only one faith, and that's the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this now, and, and pay attention to what's going on in this meeting between Paul and these, this church in Jerusalem, these leaders. Watch this in verse 18 of Acts 21. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James. This refers to James, the Lord's brother, who was the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And all the elders were present, refers to the many pastors who served with James concerning the church in Jerusalem. The church was quite large, perhaps numbering as many as 30,000 members or more. Perhaps that was true, but it was many. As I said earlier, if 3,000 got saved at one whack on the day of Pentecost, how about all their families and all their families' families and all the people that were associated with them? When people hear of your being born again and the life you now have, that's how this whole thing works. Then you're telling them about it, and those who are going to be saved receive it, and they're saved too. So this was a massive church in Jerusalem, verse 19. And when he, Paul, had saluted them, means he greeted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. He gave an account of his second and third missionary journeys with the planning of many churches. So, see, this here is, is Paul, it's not Paul's first trip to Jerusalem. But I brought this in to make a point about our lesson today. Verse 20, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. They thanked God that, really, that they, people were being saved under the, Paul's ministry. They glorified God. Pay attention here. You can be glorifying God when people are getting saved, but still bound under the law yourself. Watch this. And when they heard it, they glorified God, means they praised the Lord for what had been done, and said unto him, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. See where James goes? They believe, but they're still zealous of the law. Now let's, let's back up and read a little notes here. How many thousands of Jews there are which believe, probably spoken by James and referring to the church in Jerusalem, made up almost exclusively of Jews. And they're all zealous of the law, meaning their newfound faith in Christ stirred them up to serve the Lord with a new zeal, which they channeled in the direction of attempting to obey the law of Moses to an even greater degree than ever. 
That's what happens to every child of God who's born again. We're born again, and there is a zeal in our hearts to serve God. It just consumes us. But what happens to almost, not almost, every Christian, every one of us, we attempt to serve God now by all, by all we do. And if we're not very careful, our faith will move from the cross of Jesus Christ to what he did for us to now what we're doing. And what we're doing is never to become the object of our faith. And, and, and I, I want to repeat that. What we're doing should never become the object of our faith, which proves that all the things the Bible tells us to do cannot become our object of faith. Our object of faith must remain the sacrifice so that that, so that that will allow true faith to work. Faith only works through that sacrifice, which is God's love for us, and faith works by love only. So when our faith remains in the sacrifice, then all the things we're doing is the Holy Spirit doing through us. Jesus continuing His ministry today by His Spirit through us. But if we're, if we're going back to the feast and the, we're trying to carry out all the laws of, of Moses and all, any laws that we even make up, today then we remove ourselves from him that called us we're no longer living by faith and really and truly the love that we had for him when we were born again is no longer in operation because it's no longer true faith that works by love only in the sacrifice. And this is why one of the churches uh, Jesus writes to through the apostle John in the book of Revelations he's calling them to repent and return to their first love. Even though busy about the things of God, it had become just them. True faith was no longer in operation. What you're doing does not mean you have true faith. True faith is manifest through wherever you place your faith and where God sees it. And he sees if our faith is in the cross, if it is, that's the only faith that works because that was the manifestation of God's love. And God honors that faith, saved our souls, says keep your faith here. I'll keep you through that faith and, and, and walk in that. And then it'll be the Holy Spirit doing all the works through you. That's good news. That's good. To know that today, that's good news. To be, listen, you can be born again today if you're born again and you get planted in a right church preaching true grace, which is faith in the cross. You won't have to be caught off guard and carried off into some false way. But here you have an entire church of thousands of people who were now, they were still as zealous or maybe more zealous for the law after they've been born again. And, and we become like that in all reality. We're born again. Again, I'm serving God no matter what. And we find our, we wake up one day when we hear the truth coming through a radio or through the television and realize we've been off track for years. We're so busy about the things of God. We've taken our faith out of the cross. We've put it in these five steps we read in this book. We've put it in the, the government of 12, the promise keepers. The, the, you confess it and God will do it. And all these things that come along out of the psychological imaginations of men under the influence of Satan to distract us from the cross. And you can't say that my faith is still in the cross when you get involved in these things because now that those things are what you're shooting for. And you've got to understand, I hope you get something here today, and I'm going to share it with you. God has never called his people to do anything but just to simply and plainly serve him in simplicity. When, when Cain chose to, to reject God, and he went out there, and you know what Cain thought? I'll just build my own civilization. I, you know what I'll do is Cain? I'll show God I never needed a Garden of Eden anyway. I'll have this and that and all that. And when it came time, I think it was like the great, great, great grandson of Cain, whose name was Lamech, and Lamech had three sons and a daughter. He had Hubel, Hobble, and Tobble Cain. Boy, that's good. Aren't you glad you live in Texas? He had hot. Habal, Hubal, Tabal, Cain, and a daughter, and, and they had a, a sister named Naamah. 
And the first son was the, was the maker of, uh, uh, what was, he, he began to make tents and be a cattle herder and he got a corner on the market and, and now they could have steaks and boy, they could be out there eating good and, 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 and have, have a, a, a structured, uh, a cattle business. And the second son began to, uh, uh, make the, 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 the harp and the organ, the Bible says. And the organ doesn't mean what it means today. It means a reeded instrument when you look the Hebrew up. So now, now we've got the cattle business going and we've got the music going. Oh boy, we've got the steaks and the nightclubs. And then the third son was uh, uh, Tabal Cain, and he was a, a man who began to forge steel and weaponry and make all these brass and iron things. And, 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 uh, and so now you've got the weapons of war, and, and you've got all these people over here, and their sister, Naama, she, her name means lovely. So now you've got the beautiful women, you've got the stakes, you've got the music, you've got the weapons of war. Man, you've got the world today. The reason I was looking into that the other day is because Jesus said, when I come again, when I come for you, it's going to be as in the days of Noah. So when we begin to back up and look at what was uh, coming up to the days of Noah, and he said people will be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. And that's what those people begin to do, and that was their focus. And can't you imagine the whole lineage of Cain looking over at the people of God every once in a while thinking, how pitiful are they? How pitiful are they? All they got going is that bloody sacrifice. And look at all we've got going. But how many of you remember to what happened to all they had going? God washed it all away. God's not called anybody to anything except to faith in His Son and to live just plainly and simply by that faith. Hallelujah. That's good news to know that. Everything else is going to be washed away. The heaven and the earth is going to be rolled up like a scroll. Hallelujah. The heavens are, and the earth will be regenerated and, and be done away with in the way we know them today. But the only thing that lasts is God's Word. That's it. That's good news. That's good. And God's Word is about Jesus, the living Word. And what makes it applicable to our lives is what He did at Calvary. We got to get away from this trying to be more wise than all the, more, you know, in competition. We're here just to simply keep our faith in Christ. The wisdom of men has rushed in the church and made the cross of Christ of none effect in our days. But he's raising up leaders in these last days who are determined to know nothing else but this message of Christ and him crucified. Praise God. Let's continue on with this little reading here in Acts 21. And uh, they're zealous of the law. And in verse 21, it says, And they're informed of you. Now this is a meeting with Paul and this, these church leaders, James, and Peter probably, whoever the leaders are here, and they're informed of you, they're talking about you, Paul. Concerned, this concerned itself with churches against Paul relative to what he was teaching concerning the law slash grace issue. That you're teaching all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. See, James had a problem. That's not what Paul was teaching anyway. And we'll see that it was not correct, at least in the manner in which it was being said. In fact, Paul preached almost exclusively from the Old Testament, holding up all that it stated as pointing to Christ. That's what we do today. Now that we know the truth, that's what we do. We don't point it to our ministries. We don't point it to what's going on in the world. We point the Scriptures to Christ. That's where they point. Amen. The, the, the Old Testament scriptures was a time, uh, it was given to them, un, they were under law. And hear me today, they were under law even if they had their faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and their faith was in the coming of the seed of the woman. They were still under law. You and I are not that way. We're living under a new covenant and when our faith is in the cross, we dead to the law. And that's for Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. I didn't really come to talk about that. But let's, let's think about that for a minute. They, under the law, even though they had faith in the promise given through the manifestation of the sacrifice, not everybody in Israel even probably wanted to participate in the sacrifice, and not everybody that participated in the sacrificial system really had their heart and their faith toward a Savior that was coming. There's always been a remnant within every move of God. 
So, but even the ones that were faithful, that had their faith in the promise of the coming uh, seed of the woman through the sacrifice and they were devout believers in the promise and they served God and, and God occasionally would use them, they were still under law because it was a dispensation of law. And they were trapped there. The Bible says in Galatians 3 that the law had them shut up unto the faith and that the law was only a pointer, a, a schoolmaster that pointed to Christ wherewith we could be justified by faith. It's what the Bible, and it's not that they didn't have faith, it's just that that was all a temporary, a symbolic, a portrayal of what would come. And God honored their faith. He honored their faith. I mean, just like showing up to Mary uh, and saying, uh, you are favored uh, among women, not above women, among women. And, and, and God using people throughout the ages through the faith that they would exhibit in him. And, and it's amazing, but they were all still under the law. And Paul got a revelation here. Guess what? We're no longer under the law. And he... he he taught that it's, this is not just for Gentiles, but for all. It's for all. So there was a problem here in the early church. Even among those that were saved. They were saved. We're talking about church. When we say church, we mean saved. So he, he, he says that you're teaching all the Jews, which are among the Gentiles, to forsake Moses. And we know that's not what Paul was preaching. Saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. Once again, this was not exactly what Paul was saying. He taught the, that circumcision did not save the soul that had no flesh and that, had no, and that no flesh shall be justified by the deeds of the law. What is it therefore, they said, and the notes say, I think this illustrates that James himself was not settled on the matter respecting Paul. It proves he wasn't. He's questioning Paul. And the multitude needs to come together so that they can hear you. We aren't told anything about this particular meeting of which James spoke. Verse 23, Do therefore this that we say to you, We have four men which have a vow on them. And he's talking about the Nazar Nazarene, the Nazarite vow more than likely. And... Take them and purify yourself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads. This proclaims the fact that Paul was to pay for all these sacrifices out of his own pocket, which in 2003, at that time, money amounted to several thousands of dollars. And then the scripture says... And all may know that those things whereof they are informed concerning you are nothing. And the thought here is that Paul was as opposed to the law as it was acclaimed. He certainly would not be in the temple carrying out a Nazarite vow, which was a part of the Mosaic law. In the rest of the scripture here says, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. And notice Paul doesn't give an answer. It's not recorded. Paul don't answer that. Paul knew better than that. And anybody that might come along with questions say, well, and you know, because some of the other things we read about Paul and, 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 and how he had his, his people do certain things, why did Paul, listen, Paul here in this, in this meeting not only was trying to get the people to see God had called him and this was the true gospel and, and that they needed to, in a roundabout way, he didn't come right out and flat out face them with it, but they needed to get a hold. He was trying to, and praying that the Lord would show them the revelation of the gospel gospel and and but anything but here in the midst of all this Paul was also trying to keep from having a church split at all costs we should fight against having a church split but we don't fight against it to the degree of having union with those who won't walk in the faith we just separate and go do what God called us to do now, if they, listen, for all those who've been in a church split and you've left or they left you or whatever, if they didn't separate on the grounds of true faith and going and preaching the gospel or they didn't separate because you were preaching the great true grace and the true gospel, which means the message of the cross, then that was really just a fleshly church split all the way around. Yeah. And most of them are. 
But when somebody leaves because the message of the cross is not being preached, to go preach it, that's a right departure. Amen. So, no answer from Paul is recorded, and we know that Paul didn't keep the law as it regarded all of its rituals and ceremonies. In fact, all of that was fulfilled in Christ. The only answer we can give concerning Paul's action is doing what James said, is that he was trying to prevent a split in the church. It is my opinion that James didn't understand the message of grace as he should and was still trying to hold to the law. That's obvious. That's obvious through the Scriptures. About ten years later, the Lord made it impossible for the law to be kept anymore in that the temple was totally destroyed by the Roman army. Can I get a witness? It was a move of God. God had told through Jesus that he was going to do that. And when the temple was removed, that should have been along with all the other signs. Not just the sign, but along with all the other signs that the law had been put away. For righteousness, Jesus having become the end of the law for righteousness. The law is still there today, my friend. The Bible doesn't say the law has dead. The Bible says we've become dead to the law. The law still has its purpose in, in society today. Amen. But the Bible says it only speaks to those who are under it. I ain't under it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Verse 25, as touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing. And the notes say it releases the Gentiles from obligation to the Mosaic law. It is obvious here, however, that James didn't include the Jews in this freedom, which presented a, a dichotomy and caused great problems in the early church. Here, here's some more scripture. Except only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Well, this was right, but as stated, James didn't include the Jews, which made that part wrong. Wrong. So there was a problem in the early church. And get this today, my friends. There's still a problem in the latter church. After 2,000 years, there shouldn't be. But because men and our flesh and the influence of the devil and demons and, and, and pride, there, there's, there's competition, there's we got it going on and you don't, and we've got a corner on this teaching. Listen, if we all focused to Calvary, we could all come together. It's the only place God brought us all together. It got, listen, God's intention is not for there to be a church on every corner, but there to be, listen, a unity. Even if there's ten churches in one town, they should be preaching the same message. The Scriptures in truth. The Word of God in truth. If it's the only place God will work, and it is, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, when we believe the Scriptures in truth, the Word in truth, he then effectually works that into our hearts. Psalms 33, 4 declares that all his works are done in truth. And you can't just get up and quote a Bible verse and expect God to work in your life. That's not how God works. When you're believing the scriptures in truth, as they are in truth, God performs the truth in your life. To say that, uh, this quote the scripture, what, Philippians 1, 6, that God, the Lord will perform the work until his work until the day of Christ, that's only if we stay in the faith. Remember what we'll get to uh, probably two years from now in Galatians chapter 5. What, what the Holy Spirit told the churches in Galatia is that you've removed yourself from him. When you remove yourself from the one that calls you into this grace, you remove yourself from all that he can do for you. You remove yourself from his love, his mercy, his grace. I didn't say he removed himself from you, you but you can remove yourself from him. And the way we do that is by going back under law. And we could at least say today that the church in Jerusalem could get people saved, but they couldn't tell anybody how to live for God. Because there is no different way for the Jews. 
Paul, do you see the importance and the power and the necessity for God to find somebody who he could give the truth to who would go the distance and be stoned, shipwrecked, caved up naked, beat? The list goes on and on, all driven not by faith, but driven by love that worked that faith in his life. Do you see that? It took a love, that love that God put in Paul and that love going back, that same love, not some other love, the love God put in our heart, that's the love we love God with and if our faith stays in the sacrifice, God will use us to great lengths, great degrees and touch this world with the name of his son, Jesus Christ. No matter the problems, the beatings, the losses through death and the loss of job, the heartache, the heartbreak, the loss of money, we won't sit there paralyzed by fear and defeat. We will rise driven by that love that God put in us so that faith can now work. It can't work without that love that comes through that faith in the cross. God proved that faith is the only faith at work. When, he, when you placed your faith in the cross, He saved you to prove that faith works. Because you placed it in what I did to love you. See, faith only works by love. Mm, powerful. So we see there's big problems in the early church. There's big problems in the latter church. You still got people by the millions that are saved by the blood of Jesus, but they're teaching law. You know, you, you, and I'm not going to get into all the different names this morning. Listen, all you got to do is turn the TV on. If they're not opening the Bible and pointing to Jesus Christ, if, if, if the teacher and the preacher or your own study time doesn't leave you at the cross when you're through, the Holy Spirit wasn't doing the teaching. If you're not moved by truth, I've been saying this lately and I know it's of the Lord, if we're not moved by truth, we're not moved by God. It's truth that God offers so that our faith that works through the sacrifice, that love God offered us, will now, through the Scriptures, be able to move us into that truth. That truth work effectively in our hearts, and not just for our own good, but for others. The fruit is for others. Amen. So we see this in verse 3. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. Here he's got Titus with him, and they're in the midst of all these Jewish people that are still teaching circumcision. They're keeping the law zealously. Yes, we're saved by the blood of Jesus, but we're God's people. See, they really didn't understand that Gentiles were God's people too. I mean, they knew it because the Bible says they glorified God. But they didn't really fully accept it. Had they fully accepted it, then they wouldn't have had two different things going. They would have said, this is it. When I mean, after hearing about Peter, when Peter tells them about what happened to the Gentile Cornelius, they should have got the same revelation. See, God gave Peter the revelation of the blanket coming down, four corners tied up with all sorts of uh, animals and things in there. And Peter and the Lord said, take, eat. Peter said, man, I ain't eating that, Lord. He said, I have never eaten anything unclean and unholy. And in that revelation, Peter, the Lord was telling Peter, listen, what I've called, what I've called clean, don't you be calling unclean. And that happened three times in a row for Peter. Boom, boom, boom. Peter was kind of hard-headed. Remember, the Lord had to ask him three times, Do you love me, Peter? He had to give him the revelation of the blanket with the meat in it, the things he had a wrong concept of three times. But Peter got the revelation. He didn't quite understand it all until God, here it comes. Are you ready for this? God began to walk it out in his life. God's moving in somebody's life over here named Cornelius. An angel appeared to him, sinned for this man named Peter. And then and, and God is telling, when the men showed up, God gives Peter, there's, there's men at the door asking for you and tells him why they're there. And he goes down and, he, and they carry him off to where Cornelius is. And every step of the way, Peter is understanding what that vision was about. We walk it out. If we're not willing to come back to the truth and walk in the truth, you're not going to understand the truth. 
You've got it. first of all, admit, all that was dung. All that's got to go. I've wasted years. You know what? You've got to get to the point where you'll even take the DVDs, the CDs, the books you wrote that were out of context and wrong focus and didn't point people to Calvary. You've got to have a good old weenie roast out there in a bonfire with that mess. You've got to get rid of it. You don't keep it for value's sake. You mean I've got to throw away 30, 40, 50 years of material? If it didn't point to Calvary, yes. What's it going to do? Well, I'm leaving it for my grandchildren so they can listen to me. Man, you're going to lead your grandchildren astray. You've got to count it all dung. So many people out there thinking they're apostles. Listen, you ain't an apostle till you count it all dung. You've got to count all that dung. Let it go. No matter who cuts you off, that's God at work. Amen. And Peter had to walk this out. He had to learn for himself and still had problems with it. You remember the day when, when Peter was out there and he done moved off into the Gentile freedom. <laughs> the freedom Christ offers. And he was out there eating with them and doing everything. But here comes some folks from the Jerusalem church. Uh, Peter got word. Here comes some of James' boys. Whoop, give me that napkin, man. Y'all get over there. <laughs> He had to separate himself because there was still, just like today, a little, a little, a little uh, oppression that tries to come, a little fear of man that tries to come, the value of what men think when we're starting to walk out this liberty. You're told to stand in it. Don't move from it. And when the James boys begin to come, and he, 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 he begin to, uh-oh, but I, 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 can't, I can't be in this now. Pete, they all had a problem with it. And again, might I add this morning, again, do you see the value of what God gave Paul? None of the rest of them had it. Could, they didn't have it to give. If all we had was, was, was Peter and James, it would have never worked out. God had to use Saul to become Paul to do what God, the Lord Jesus Christ, did through him to get us what we have today. See, if, if salvation, you have to be a Jew, it takes being a Jew and following the law, then we're going to live in condemnation because we can't do that. But we can come to Christ freely based on what he did. And I like it when the Revelation says the, the Spirit and the Bride and those who hear say come and drink freely of the waters of life. See, it's only those who are hearing that say come and drink freely. Those who aren't hearing the Lord are saying come, but you got to do this, you got to do that. See, it ain't free when you got to do something. The Spirit and the Bride and those who hear say, Come and drink freely. When you add any work to it, you're not hearing God anymore. You're off. You're saved. Oh, praise God. I'm glad you are. But you're still dancing around under the law. And you're bound under the law. And I'm going to read some things to you today about the law. Watch this. No, I'm not going to read that yet. How about that? Yeah, I will. We'll back up next week because I want to get this in today. Let's, let's move on and, and we'll talk about Titus a little more uh, next week, hopefully. Titus uh, was with Paul here in this meeting. It says he was a Greek. Uh, but Titus, who was with me, being a, neither Titus, who was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Titus was grabbing a hold of what Paul was preaching. I don't need to be circumcised. I don't need the law. I've got Christ. Hallelujah. Paul, and see, man, I, and I, I don't know. I'm sure that Titus and, 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 and Silas and those boys that, and Luke and those that traveled with Paul, man, they were learning. Because you know at night they'd sit around and Paul would share. And, and man, they'd just, boy, be experiencing that liberty and so thankful that God would even reach out and save a Gentile race. And Paul showing them in the Scriptures how he would come even for the Gentiles. That's in the Bible. Praise God. So in verse 4, And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. And I'm going to end this today with these things that I have on a sheet of paper at home. I keep it in the back of my other preaching notebook. This is my teaching notebook. <laughs> Maybe I need to bring my preaching notebook in. But... These things I'm about to read are what they were trying to 
through their flesh, under the influence of Satan, to bring Paul and his converts back under. Those who don't know the truth will try to get you out of it. They don't know they're doing it. They think they're helping you. They think they're loving you. But they're not. Because it takes faith to help somebody. And that faith only works by love. And it's the love that God manifested. Calvary, watch this. The law is a ministry of condemnation. It's death. It's historical. It's done away with for the sake of righteousness. The law is anything, not just the law of Moses, but the law is anything I believe I can do to be saved or to be sanctified. That means the denomination of that denomination, the Church of Christ, it teaches you got to be water baptized to be saved or some of those false Pentecostal ways out there that say you have to be water baptized to be saved. That's something you do that makes it a law. The only way water baptism helps us is that it helps our testimony as an outward uh, testimony because we're already saved when we're water baptized. We've already been baptized into the death of Jesus before we hit the water tank. Hallelujah. Romans 6, 3. So watch this as I read through the list of what the law is, what the law does, and know this, even in their ignorance, this is what the enemy through them were trying to bring them back under. I'm not going. I'm not going. Watch this. I'm going to give you scripture for every one of these. Got to hurry. We're about out of time. Got five minutes left. The law speaks to those who are under it. Romans 3, 19. The law works wrath, Romans 4, 15. See, the law don't work love. Faith works by love. Wrath works by law. Was our first husband, Romans 7, 4. Talking about the law. We were married to the law before we were married to Jesus. Stirs up the sin nature, Romans 7, 5. The law is holy, but unobtainable. For us, through our flesh. We'll see that in a minute. Is spiritual, Romans 7, 14. Cannot make anyone righteous, Romans 8, 3. And there you see where it says, the law was weak through our flesh. Couldn't be fulfilled through our flesh. The law strengthens sin, 1 Corinthians 15, 56 is a ministry of condemnation, 2 Corinthians 3.9. The law was glorious, 2 Corinthians 3.11. The law blinds unless Christ is seen through it, 2 Corinthians 3.14. The law is not of faith, Galatians 3.12. Think about that. The law is not of faith. That means anything I think I'm doing for salvation is not of faith. The law is not of faith. Not talking about the law of Moses. Any law is not of faith. Faith is the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. There is no faith outside that. There is no faith in the eyes of God outside that. Jesus is our example. He administered to us in the open what faith truly was and what grace truly was. Amen. So, the law is not of faith, Galatians 3, 12. The law was our schoolmaster as condemned and blind children to bring us to Christ. The law only pointed to the way of Christ through justification by faith in Him. The law binds us and isolates us from the faith until we accept Christ. Do you understand that? Galatians chapter 4 teaches that Christ was made uh, uh, b under the law, born of a woman, uh, that he might redeem us. He was born under the law that he might redeem those that are under the law. Think about James in that scripture. That he might redeem them that are under the law. Why stay under it if Christ redeems you to get you out of it? The law causes the fruit of the flesh... To be active, which is corruption. The fruit of the flesh, and the Bible says, in the flesh no one can serve God. And the law is a show that we're in the flesh. Galatians 5, 18-21. And the last one I have here will never be, the law will never be the direction the Holy Spirit leads. Galatians 5, 18. As many as are led of the Spirit are not under the law. 
He will never lead to you doing anything for righteousness, for salvation, for sanctification, but He will point you to where you were saved and sanctified, the cross. He will never, and let me say this as we have a minute and a half left, at the end of your Bible study, at the end of the preacher, your preacher is preaching, the teacher is teaching, if, the, if, if you weren't left with the victory of the cross, it wasn't the Holy Spirit running that message. It's either you're left with, well, I see what I got to go do now. And that's law. Or I see why I have to put my faith now. Christ has done it all. That's the result of our study. Or we've studied out of context. We've heard out of context. And we're not believing the word as it is in truth. Truth liberates. Truth brings freedom. Truth brings progress and process of the Lord's will in my life. Truth allows the Lord to work in my life. He will not work outside of my faith in the truth. The, this same letter later reveals that, that if we can remove ourselves from Him that called us into this grace, then that means we remove ourselves from what He desires to do in our lives. So, I'm glad you got your Bibles, brought them day. Got a house full of folk here this morning. And uh, I pray that you would tune in every week, if not live, later on after it's broadcast. And, and take notes. Listen to what the Lord's telling you. I guarantee that He will give you clarity of the Scriptures and begin to work mightily in your life as He has all of ours when He was once able to bring us back to the Word of God in truth, which is faith in the cross. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you right here next week on Cross Time with Pastor Curtis. Hallelujah.